Hi, this is your host, Becky Sanders, and welcome to A Virtual View, where we discuss healthcare, telehealth, and everything in between. Today, we're going to talk about the program called Erskine, the Indiana Rural Schools Clinic Network. And here with me today, I have Kathleen Chelminiak. Hi, guys. Coming at you from my sunroom in a feels-like-10-degree weather. And Bryce Ray Nelson. Yes, thank you so much for having me back. So let's go ahead and get started. Kathleen, can you just give us a little bit of a background on the Erskine program? Yeah, so Erskine is essentially a program that was created to provide access to care for students within the school building that they're in every day. It started about four years ago through a HRSA Office for the Advancement of Telehealth grant. And since then, we've been opening school-based telehealth clinics across the state. There isn't really one area that they're you know, centralized in. They really are truly across the state of Indiana. However, we are only in rural schools because there is such a need there for access to care because of the distance between, you know, people's homes or schools and providers. So Erskine essentially had the goal to eliminate that barrier, whether that meant there was too great of a distance for a student to be able to get to healthcare or there was occasionally barriers of parents who were working jobs that were a good distance away and or hourly jobs who couldn't get off work. So the program essentially is just to create another avenue of care through telehealth. I guess I didn't mention that is that the program really had a heavy focus on telehealth in eliminating that barrier of distance and or time. Now, Bryce, you were, came in after the program started, and you've been in charge of collecting the data and sending that back to our funder. What kind of trends did you see over the four-year program? Yeah, that's a great question. When you look at the data, you're really able to see just how effective this program has been in the communities that have accepted it. Over the four years, we had about 1,500 patient visits, which is incredible in its own sense. So when you look at that data, something that we saw is that a lot of these students would have otherwise gone to the emergency room at the hospital for something as simple as a sore throat, a cough. And, you know, I think that's something that we see not only in the rural setting, but also in the urban setting. A lot of times it's just a lack of understanding of what the true purpose of an emergency room is. And a lot of times you combine that with the fact that rural areas you know, may not have the provider that you need, and the patients may not have a provider that really serves that family. And so we could really see that in the data. And then surprisingly, one of our other pieces of data that I thought was very interesting was that a lot of our students were actually covered by private insurance, whereas when the program started, we were very interested to see if we had a higher Medicaid or uninsured population as well. So those were just a few pieces that were fairly interesting. Yeah, I remember early on when I helped write the grant for this particular program, we really were focusing in on rural areas around the state of Indiana where there was a 50% or more national school lunch percentage. So we really expected to have more Medicaid kiddos involved in the program. Nonetheless, I know you guys were really active in back-to-school nights and other times when parents and kids would be at the school, of course, pre-COVID. 
Can you tell us what you did to try to assist students who didn't have insurance? Yeah, so we had a partnership with Covering Kids and Families, who essentially is an organization that helps provide resources to ensure that essentially students or even their families are connected to appropriate coverage. So at these back to school nights, we were, you know, before COVID, able to be part of those welcome nights, you know, where people pick up their school packets, all of that. And we're able to be face-to-face with students and parents and teachers. And having those navigators there through covering kids and families was very valuable because, you know, if you had someone that said, oh, we, we, don't, we don't have insurance or we don't have coverage, it was a way to catch people that needed that. We were able to meet a really great need in a lot of these schools where people weren't fully aware of resources that are available to them in order to be covered for healthcare. And so it was really great to be able to form not only relationships with the school nurses and the administration and people that we didn't see every day, but they were able to see that we were invested in the program and were wanting to make sure that the community was fully aware of the program to therefore be invested as well. And then I'll also say just to kind of hop on to the marketing train, we also were able to get buy-in through some schools through their Facebook pages. I know some schools utilize them more than others, but the buy-in from the school was invaluable to being able to get the word out to the communities in order to in the end, get their buy-in because the program wasn't going to be successful unless the community was really aware and really understood what all was going on. Because, you know, these are their kids. They're not going to say, sure, I'll let them participate in this program that I know nothing about. So we wanted to make sure that there were no questions. There was no concern over information remaining private, all of that. So Kathleen, when you were talking about marketing, it made me think of the different partners that you guys pulled together underneath the grant. And some of the feedback that I heard was that HRSA was really interested in our program because of the three different types of partners that we had in our application. Could you speak to that? Yeah. So in our application, we had, of course, Indiana Rural Health Association. We had a school, a provider and then one of the managed care entities in the state of Indiana. So originally when we wrote the grant, the folks that were partnered with us wanted to be fully involved in the process. So there are four MCEs in Indiana and MCEs are basically the folks that provide are the Medicaid providers in the state. So one of them was participating at the beginning of the grant. And as the others kind of heard about what we were doing, they became interested because, you know, this program is not only connecting students and their families to coverage, but it's also providing really valuable care that they might not be getting otherwise. So some were involved with just funding. So they would provide us funding to be able to open school-based telehealth clinics in these various sites. And some wanted to learn the entire process from start to finish so that they could continue on, which was awesome from a sustainability standpoint, to educate others to help continue to implement and build this school-based telehealth program in the state of Indiana. 
And I'll also say, I know when people hear about these telehealth programs, especially if it's coming from a larger organization that isn't necessarily affiliated with the community, they think of situations where there is a remote provider that they don't know. And what I will say, and why I think that so many entities in the state were so interested and thought this program was so valuable is that we were really passionate about utilizing local providers instead of a provider that people in the community didn't know. So our program was a little bit different in that we set up telehealth equipment in the school with the school nurse as the presenter, and we were connecting to a local provider that people already knew and felt comfortable with. So we, again, as the Rural Health Association, are really passionate about rural health care and making sure that we can continue to increase access to rural health care. And I think that the program really did that for Indiana youth. I was thinking about, again, that focus that we initially tried to have on those Medicaid kiddos. And there was some concern at the beginning that a kiddo would be assigned to a certain Medicaid provider and that that we would want to use a different provider with the school program. How did that pan out? That issue was presented a few times with folks that were assigned Medicaid providers. However, when we reached out to the Medicaid providers in the state, there was some sort of a, a workaround where if it was, it was almost like if the care, you know, how like it wasn't billed as an urgent care, but if some people needed to utilize a different provider that was allowed based on what these Medicaid providers said. And there was documentation that we were able to provide to the schools to kind of highlight that. But I don't remember the exact resources that we provided or the exact conversations that we had kind of had with those Medicaid providers. Well, as long as we got the kiddos covered, that's the important part. (laughs) And they were able to be seen. And so let's talk a little bit about equipment. And I don't know who wants to take this question, but I know it was very important for us to, to kind of be vendor agnostic. Who wants to speak to that? So we were able to work with a number of different solutions. And really one of the most important things that we focused on when it came to the technology was really figuring out what was going to work best with the school nurse, what the student would feel most comfortable with, and then what would work best or be more convenient for our healthcare partner. You know, at the end of the day, those are the individuals that are really making the sacrifice to deliver this technology into their community. And so there was quite a bit of research on Kathleen's part. And of course, with your help, Becky, just figuring out what the best solutions would be. And we really had a lot of great success with with these different platforms that we worked with. I'll also add that cost was occasionally something that healthcare providers took into consideration. I think that at the end of the day, if you have a solution that you really love, you know, you'll pay what you really anything for it, especially if that's what works best for the provider in the school. But there are certain solutions that offered particular sets of diagnostic equipment and some did not. And so it was also, you know, what they offered, what the cost was, how big the equipment was, because school nurses offices, you know, they aren't that big. And so yeah, like what Bryce said, it it really came down to what the provider and the school wanted to use. And we could show them a slew of equipment with, of course, the Upper Midwest Telehealth Resource Center's help and expertise. 
and what you all know about telehealth equipment. But at the end of the day, it was their decision to make. We couldn't really push them one way or another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do remember specifically one particular school system that had a really strong relationship with their local critical access hospital that went with the solution that their critical access hospital was using just to make it more seamless for the providers involved. Bryce, you talked about nurses and what they're quote unquote giving up to provide this service. Kathleen, early on, did the nurses feel or did you run into barriers with the nurses where they felt that their job was being taken away from them? I think with anything new, there's always questions. So I wouldn't say that the school nurses were necessarily hesitant because this program was going to provide care to the students that they worked with. However, I think that when you ask someone that's already really strained on time to give more of their time, that can be really hard. So it was a lot of having to discuss the process of what the visit looked like, how long the visit took, how many visits per month there are, and all of that. And so, you know, the school nurses at the end of the day are passionate about what they do. They're going to serve the kids in any way they can. And, you know, at the end of the day, the school nurses were functioning as a presenter at that originating site. The school wasn't getting any payment for that. So because of Medicaid policy in Indiana, there is no originating site payment. And originating site just means the site where the patient is, distant site is where the provider is located, the provider doing the visit. And so I think... If anything, that was a barrier for school corporations overall because you were taking not only their space, but you were taking employee time. And again, while these schools were still so excited and so on board, I would say that was one area that got us some pushback overall just because they were essentially doing this out of the goodness of their heart. But again, that's what schools do. That's what educators do. That's what leadership in schools do. That's what school nurses do. So I wouldn't say it was hard to convince them, but there were definitely barriers. Let's talk about specialties. Initially, we were looking at primary care in our Erskine School Telehealth Clinic program. What other specialties did you guys end up seeing? And Bryce, what does the data look like? That's a great question. So when Erskine was written, the program actually was able to include several different specialties. And so of course, acute physical care, behavioral care. There was also care for nutrition, diabetes management, and asthma management as well. So Erskine, as it continued to grow and evolve over its four-year grant period, really just focused on acute physical and behavioral care. And the reason behind that was with things, we really did push hard to get asthma care in the schools, right? Because that's something that we we all know exists in the schools. A lot of physicians were very hesitant to treat asthma from a telehealth standpoint because there can be situations where you have an asthma attack and it is emergent. And so there was a lot of hesitation on that part. And so we really honed in on the acute physical and the behavioral. Um, When it comes to the data, you know, just going back to that base number over four years, we had 1,500 combined visits for acute physical and for behavioral. And I think 
for me, the behavioral care was very interesting because anything dealing with mental health is still very much stigmatized. I think it's getting a lot better because it's out there in the open and people are being more honest about their mental health. But especially in rural communities, in close-knit rural communities, that can still be very difficult to deal with sometimes. And so I, I was very excited that we did have so many schools participate in our behavioral care. And as the program grew and as more schools offered that behavioral care, you know, you just see those numbers exploding. I mean, every year we would see 200, 300% increases in the number of behavioral health visits, which is absolutely incredible. And I think it speaks volumes to the fact that it was becoming a bit more normalized and the care was being accepted. So I thought that was absolutely incredible to see. Yeah, I agree, Bryce. And I also, again, not having the barrier of transportation or like parent having to take student to a behavioral care appointment after work or something like that was, I think, one reason why it was so successful. But Becky, I know you and I talked about this recently on a call and I was listening to a webinar, I think last week, and they were talking about how their behavioral health, mental health visits were doing better. People were keeping their appointments more often because they were virtual. And I just thought that was really interesting to hear, not only from one expert, but multiple experts on that webinar. So I really hope that it continues to be something that these schools pursue and develop as time goes on. And especially now that telehealth is a lot more normalized because of everything that went on with with COVID. That's a great point, Kathleen. I've seen that statistics really prove that the no-shows drop dramatically when care is delivered via telehealth, specifically because of those transportation barriers. Bryce, no conversation about Erskine would be complete without talking about COVID. Can you tell us what happened during the spring of 2020 with the Erskine program? Absolutely. So when COVID started to rear its ugly face, I think we all just kind of held our breath at the beginning as school started to shut down. And, you know, Kathleen and I are just sitting there thinking, okay, what now? You know, and then we had the opportunity to allow our healthcare partners to move the telehealth technology. And this was really just I mean, such a huge blessing. And we got permission from HRSA to be able to do this. And the hospitals and the providers were able to use this technology really in any way that they saw fit. And so, for example, one of our partners down in Southern Indiana used it in their emergency department on two of their floors. And what that was doing was basically keeping the physicians away from the patients to keep them healthy and keep them at the hospital. Because we know that rural hospitals critical access hospitals have limited resources as it is. And so if their doctors started coming down with COVID, then they wouldn't be able to serve their community and serve the patients. And so we were very happy to see that our partners were able to use this technology and that it didn't just sit in a closed building for, you know, eight months or however long the schools were closed. So we were very, very excited to see that it got great usage during that time. That's such a great story. Bryce, you mentioned there were several hospitals that were able to take the school equipment and utilize it in emergency rooms during COVID. How many schools were part of the program at the end of the four years? 
so we actually ended the program with 37 operational clinics, and that was going from three in the very beginning to 37 at the very end. And I, I think we were just so astounded that it grew so incredibly fast during that time. But it was great. I mean, to be able to serve 37 schools and all the students in there, it was just wonderful. We were very excited to see how much it had grown. Kathleen, at the beginning of the program, you spoke about some of the unique partners that were involved in the the Erskine program. We started with one MCE. How many partners did we end up with? Yeah, so like you said, we started with one MCE, or managed care entity, and we ended up having all four participate, again, whether that was with providing time and resources or providing monetary resources for us to be able to implement those programs. The other benefit of having all four participating at the end is that we then had essentially additional folks in Indiana that know how to implement this program. So as our grant sunsetted and we, being Bryce and I, are moving on to other projects, of course, while still implementing this as we're able, we have individuals in Indiana that can continue on. And while our program was specifically focused on rural, the managed care entities really could go into schools anywhere in the state. So, you know, access to care is obviously a rural health need, but it's not only a rural health need. There's poverty in cities. There's there's poverty everywhere. There's need everywhere. So it was encouraging to see that we had so much buy-in so that this program could reach more and more people, therefore increasing access to care via telehealth with these students that are already in the school building where that equipment's located. Thank you both so much for being a part of today's uh, virtual view. This is such an important topic. The kids are definitely our future. And one of the things that I was so passionate about with this school program is that I had a, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but with my passion for the school program, I feel like more kids had access to primary care in a primary care focused setting My hope is that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, these kiddos that we've touched in this program will be the ones who will go to the dentist every six months, go to the eye doctor every year, go see their primary care physician every year, and really develop a different culture of health care and health care literacy for future generations. Yeah, Becky, that's a great point. And I'll I'll add that I do think the program made health care a little more this is not the right word to say, but it made it a little more user-friendly to these students. It also weirdly educated them in a way that I think sometimes a face-to-face visit might not, not saying it's better than a face-to-face visit in any capacity, but they were able to see their eardrum. They were able Mm -hmm. to see images of their eye, like all of these cool things that normally you know, someone like me or you, we're not looking in our own ear, but, you know, they got to get almost, they got to receive almost health education on their own appointment, on their own self. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I agree. I hope that the experiences that this generation is getting with healthcare really makes it something that's less scary and more routine and maybe even fun. (laughs) 
Absolutely. Well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in for this particular episode of A Virtual View. I've been your host, Becky Sanders. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. If you would like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions or topics you'd like for us to discuss on future podcasts, contact us at info at umtrc.org or through the form found in the show notes. Also, I'd like to give a special thanks to Josh Rodriguez and Francis Fitzgerald for scoring our podcast and to our editor, Caroline Yoder. Finally, a special thanks to the Health Resources and Services Administration, also known as HRSA. Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center program, which is under the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy and the Office for the Advancement of Telehealth. The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of Becky Sanders as the program director of the Upper Midwest Telehealth Resource Center and should not be construed as the official policy or position of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by, HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thanks for listening and have a great day.